and I find it to be super useful. And it mean and it also slows us down in a good way. Yeah, it does. Where it's not just talk, 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 talk at the top of a scene, and then yeah. hopefully something funny happens. It's we are purposefully putting weight and meaning on the things that are happening. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to Notes from My Improv Notebook. This is Chell Hernandez. I appreciate if I sound a little different. I have a different microphone today, uh, so I'm just trying things out. Anyways, uh, before I do begin and self-promote, I just want to let you know that this episode, episode two of Colleen Doyle, was one of my favorite episodes. It actually enlightened my view on improv, and I'm so excited to share it with you. Other than that, please press pause, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, let other improvisers like you know that this exists, and I will be teaching a workshop. February 9th, I will be at San Diego Improv Festival. I will be teaching the Your Play, Your Way workshop. You're welcome to take it. Without further ado, here's Colleen Doyle. What do you think something that a skill that a student wants to learn that they bring to you of like, I want to learn this? (laughs) (laughs) I think the most common thing I've ever gotten, part of which is I started teaching level two first. So level two at IO in Chicago was pretty much character, physicality, environment stuff. So what I would most often get, even out here, was I want to play characters. <laughs> How do I play characters? And my response was always, well, you're always, you're hopefully always playing a character on stage. I've, over the years, I've become very fond of having more of improvisers in their characters, more reality, more humanity in there. But um, I think a lot of people come to improv, whether consciously or subconsciously, because they've seen like Kristen Wiig on SNL or whomever. So that's definitely, I think, per the the, the question I'm asked most often is like, how do I do more characters? <laughs> Open-ended question. Yeah. The characters. I think, how about, how did you come into your characters when you were playing? Do you feel like it just clicked naturally or did you? So... Again, I'll, I'll talk about Susan because Susan was my level two teacher and a lot of the emphasis of that level two curriculum was discovering characters through these choices that we make, these physical physical choices. How do I carry my body? Do I have my arms folded across my chest? Am I man-spreading? <laughs> all, these, all these things that help to inform who we are on stage, right? Like you could start a scene... And I could, uh, the suggestion could be garage. And if you're bent over the hood of a car, if that's your first impulse is to be fixing an engine, or if your first impulse is to be bound and gagged as though you've been (laughs) um, abducted, those are two really different places to start. And if we lean into those things, the discovery of like, if I'm, if I, if Colleen Doyle made the choice to lean over a car's engine and be actively fixing it, that's a different person than I am by mm-hmm. nature. And so I'm going to say, if this is true, what else is true? Mm. I'm much more likely to have been abducted <laughs> and to be in a garage <laughs> with my hands tied behind my back. Um, that's going to feel a bit easier for me. So Susan really introduced this idea. Instead of thinking about characters as wholesale, like this huge costume that I'm going to put on that's going to completely obfuscate like who I am, 
it's these little changes that we make this discovery in on stage. Am I wearing a top hat? Am I wearing overalls? Am I, you know what I mean? These little things that are a way into character rather than this huge heavy thing that I have to think about is like, there's a way to think about characters that is this huge task. Mm-hmm. When in reality, if, if you say to yourself, oh, I have, I have a limp. Colleen Doyle has a limp and how that make me feel. It would change my point of view a bit as a human being. Mm. And that's a really good place to start. When I think of characters and when you were talking about right now, I like to put images. So a lot of how I come up with my characters is I'll make a move and then I'll try to create an image in my mind of what type of person that is. And like with the bound and gag person, it's like my image is that person has like a red handkerchief in their mouth and I'll go from there and that'll create a character. Is that something that you do similar or is it more like, do you think of like feel like, what do you think of when you come into these characters? I guess I'm probably more often coming at it from, yeah. How does it make me feel? So if, if it's like emotional attachment to that image that you're creating. Yeah, I'd say, so if, if someone gives me the gift, right, on stage, if, if we get a suggestion of a location, the first thing, this is how I start to think, how I've started to think about making improvisation less complicated and easier and more successful for myself. So if we get a location, I'm going to think about how would I feel in that location? Would I be excited? Would I be nervous, et cetera? And I would try to lean into that, just trying to find point of view. If someone endows me with something, if someone says like, wow, that is, your cat has become enormous, Colleen, <laughs> right? Um, what I would start to think about right away is like, what kind of person <laughs> lets their pets become obese, right? <laughs> so mm. the first thing I think of is like a deep sense of sadness uh, or loneliness. Wow. Yeah. Well, just because how do we know how to react on stage? How do I get out of my head and intellectualizing how to be funny and how do I play a person? So if, again, if I'm endowed with your cat has diabetes, you know, I'm going to, Colleen Doyle will think, wow, that's sad. And why would I, why would someone let it <laughs> overfeed an animal? Maybe they're very lonely. They're seeking out companionship or love or, you know, touch. And so I, I would just try to start maybe playing from there. So that I have a point of view. So the next line that you say to me, I have a, a sense of how I might react. So if you're a vet and the first line is, you know, your cat has diabetes, you've been overfeeding it. I know that I'm going to come from a place of sadness, no matter what kind of comes through. And then I'll be like, yeah, by the way, what are you doing after this? You know, <laughs> oh, Dr. Chuck. I mean, I, right. Like that helps us to understand what the scene is about. Cause I'm trying to get away always from playing a premise. I'm trying to get to a place of two people with points of view reacting to each other. Yeah, and yeah. you really have that emotional connection which helps you connect to that other person. And I think that's what an audience finds funny. Mm-hmm. They don't know they don't know really what's important until we put some emotional weight behind it. Mm-hmm. And it's not really until we find important things that the audience finds it funny, right? Mm-hmm. If it's that's why we don't do really transactional scenes because there there's no importance to them mm-hmm. so we're not really reacting so if we finding that emotion sooner rather than later sets us up for an audience to be very re- reactive as well something that you said that was so important was emotional weight to a scene so for example like do you have a simple example of that i think like how can i add emotional weight to two people <laughs> f- like sharing a sandwich well 
Because emotional weight, mm-hmm. maybe that's a horrible example, and no, it's totally, great. you can change it if you want. I, I would never change it. I would <laughs> never change it. Well, I use this example. When I coach or teach a new group of people, the first thing that I do out the gate is I do three-line scenes, and I use as an example, I made you a sandwich, which is such an innocuous, benign thing to say to someone on stage, a first line of dialogue. I made you a sandwich, but there is a way, and I this is stolen from a very sweet person who's no longer with us his name is jason chin this is stolen from jason chin this I is i loved when i got taught by him yes. in the summer intensive that was so cool uh he's he was a wonderful teacher and person and friend of improvisation and there's a way to do three line scenes where someone comes out they might say to you i made you a sandwich innocuous benign maybe maybe even your scene partner finds that not useful but there's a way that we can turn that line into gold and So to your point about how do we make that emotional, the first question I want to answer on stage, if coming from this background of IO and relational and character is, who is this person to me? Mm -hmm. If we don't answer that question, that line can have no importance. I made you a sandwich. Oh, what is it, right? Is it egg salad? Oh, I don't want egg salad, right? (laughs) Right, and it's already, everyone's so bored, they want to die. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but if if the answer to the question, if I make this determination that the person who's who made me a sandwich is my sister, and the second question being, um, what are they really saying? So it's not just an offer of a sandwich, but maybe it's the way that person's standing on stage, the way they're holding their body, how close we are to one another. Are they making eye contact with me? Are they looking away? Maybe I can make some decisions as to this is my sister. This is her way of trying to apologize to me. Mm. And now... It's a gesture of apology rather than just a sandwich. That's so that's so cool. It's something that I've started noticing about life is that everything's metaphor. <laughs> and and to understand that and to bring that right away into your scene just grants you so much meat to to kind of draw from. Mm-hmm. That that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Oh yeah. I mean, I I find it to be so useful. It's it's three questions. Who is this person to me? What are they really saying? And how does that make me feel? And if you do, if you answer those questions for yourself nearer to the top of a scene, there's going to be emotional weight to the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be stakes. There's going to be relationship. It's just an, it's like this trick of getting into what, why are we watching this? Why is this happening on stage? Right? Mm-hmm. Why is an audience watching it? And I find it to be super useful. And it, mean, and it also slows us down in a good way. Yeah, it does. Where it's not just talk, 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 talk at the top of a scene and then yeah. hopefully something funny happens. It's we are purposefully putting weight and meaning on the things that are happening. Yeah, you're aiming uh, uh, with meaning. You're yeah. not just throwing stuff out there and you're like, I'll waddle through this mud and I'll find a diamond. You're like creating diamonds right off the top of the scene. Yeah. And if we do it in a way that, you know, who is this person to me? Um, and it doesn't ha- you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Right. It doesn't have to be like my podiatrist's astrologer. Right. (laughs) Keep it keep it in the realm of something an audience understands. Right. Which is like my brother in law or my mom or my boss or someone I have a crush on or my partner. Great. Those are all wonderful answers. What are they really saying? And again, something that you might be able to glean from the the delivery or something that, again, feels really human. And how does that make me feel? Mm -hmm. Because there's value in you as an improviser how that makes you feel again rather than trying to invent a way to feel about the offer so we're doing ourselves you know i've watched so much improv in the last (laughs) 40 million years i've been doing this where 
you want the audience to go with you. And a really easy way to get the audience to go with you is for them to understand what's happening. Mm-hmm. So it also helps to keep it within the realm of being understood. To be clear to the audience and to your partner yeah. thus makes good comedy, yeah. I, I believe. Okay, so here's my question okay. to you. Yes. So you have those three questions. Yes. Whenever you've presented, whenever you've been presented with a new skill in improv, how have you found a way to incorporate that into your play? Because I do feel like when we play, it's very subconscious, it's very reactionary. Mm-hmm. But like when you get a new skill, you're like, how do I fit that into my subconscious so that I can make those reactionary moves? Mm. Ooh, good question. I guess I'll just use what I would normally say to a student. Right? Whatever you do yeah. is the right answer. At a certain point, let's say you've you've done some intro classes or you've been doing improv for a bit. This may not be as, what I'm trying to say is it might be as applicable to someone who's brand new doing improv, but I'd say then just let everything else go. Don't think about anything other than the skill that you're trying to sharpen. So for example, the another common question that I've gotten from students has been, how do I get better at incorporating scene work into my scenes? And I just say, don't worry about anything other than your scene work. (laughs) (laughs) A nice side effect of doing that is that scene, in my estimation, scene work is meant to help you and not hinder you on stage. If it gets you out of your head of thinking about what to do next, that's almost a good thing. So whether it's, I want to get better at filling up my environment or incorporating more scene work, great, then don't worry about the eight other things that you've heard over the course of a year as to these are things that you have to do on stage. Then just focus on your scene work mm-hmm. for three or four months and do that without necessarily worrying about those other things. If it's, I want to be a better listener, then only worry about that when you get on stage. Don't try to do too many things. Don't walk on stage and say, you know what, this show, I'm going to do those four things. <laughs> I'm do all four of those things concurrently. There's no way that you're going to be able to do that. I think it's just take one thing at a time. It's just improv. You're, you're not going to break it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's a great way to look at it because I do. F- so human beings, we're very like, we can't process many things at once. And like with our phones, it's like throwing us all off. Like you ever look at your phone and you're just like, why am I at the bank? Oh, yeah, I got to do that thing. Every day. We have day. To, we're one tracked mind kind of thing. So what you're suggesting is whatever the skill that you want to learn. So in my case, mm-hmm. I love the metaphor and those three questions that you brought up. It's about just going into rehearsal or my play or my show and being like, I'm just going to concentrate on these three things or this one thing. And then I'm going to I'm going to keep doing it until it becomes like natural and a part of like my my subconscious. And and it's not, you know, it's not every line. It's how we I would if. If I was giving this advice, you know, to a podcast, <laughs> which I am, oh my God. Um, but I'd say it's the next time that you do a scene or a show, think about, I, I definitely want to know at the top of the scene who my scene partner is to me. Just naturally, even if you don't do the other two questions, even if you don't answer that right away, if I endow you with, you are my child or you are my grandparent, or you are my best friend from college, almost inherently, without thinking about it, you're going to add more emotional weight to it. Mm-hmm. So if you just answer that one question for yourself for a while, and you're like, I, I, I know who my scene partners are, I make that decision for myself really quickly in the scene. I think inherently, that's going to add more. And then if, then if you add on to that, if you say that, you know, uh, the, a sandwich is never going to be a sandwich. 
it's going to be it's going to mean something else there's more meaning in what people are saying to me and you just keep adding on I think it just becomes really natural over time and that's what definitely what happened for me you know you start to feel it when you get up on stage and you're doing shows more often you ha- there's a you have an understanding that there has to be more going on because mm-hmm. <laughs> very rarely do we start scenes with like I've always been in love with you, right? <laughs> we have to make more out of these out of these offers. So you start to understand it on a very subconscious level too. Mm, interesting. Yeah. How cool. It can be tough to have this conversation because I do feel like we're talking about what's happening subconsciously and we're yeah. consciously trying to put words to it of like, you know, because I think a lot of students, they come up to you and you're like, how do you do that thing you do? And mm-hmm. it's just like, that's just, that's my reactions and that's just how I've, come to sharpen my knife over the years of doing this over and over again so and and the answer a lot of times too to students is the answer that no one wants to hear ever which is you just got to keep doing it Mm -hmm. you have to keep getting up on stage and you start to just feel it in your bones a little bit over time so even though that's a really frustrating answer for a student it's you know it's as true of improv as it is of any other skill set you just start to feel it have you found a way to say that message to uh, students depending on the level they're uh, willing to receive things? So like a student who is like you could totally trust, they trust you, whatever you say, you could totally say you just got to keep doing it. <laughs> but someone who first starts out who's just not ready to hear that, uh, have you ever been approached by that type of person and delivered that message in a different way so that they kind of continue on the path? Is that... Um, I'm trying to think if, if, if I have other ways of, I I think that a lot of students when they're more advanced students and they kind of been around the block and in the community, I think they have an understanding of that. It's, I I don't think I get asked that as often when I was teaching of like level four and five students, Mm -hmm. you know, they've seen some great shows. They see (laughs) gray in the hair of some of the people that they watch on stage. They're like, Oh yeah. Okay. You gotta get crusty. Um, I'd say another way to, I guess another way that I, that I talk about it sometimes is to keep people interested and excited about doing it is finding your tribe, which again, it, that's, I'm stealing from Amy Poehler. It's true though. It's so, you want to feel like confident and fulfilled and happy to do it. Find your people that make you so happy to do it. And I guess it bums me out. It bums me out in Chicago and it bums me out in LA. Sometimes I'll coach and I'll just feel like people kind of put themselves together because they were desperate to start performing. And you can just tell like, it's kind of a joyless endeavor. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Like y'all don't have to do this, you know, (laughs) Um, even if it's two other people and you make each other laugh, then get up and start doing shows with those people. And when you find your tribe, you feel like you push yourself in like greater directions than you would like just in a random jam with like random people. A hundred, a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I... Just like anything else, I'd say for like comedians in LA, like don't, none of us have to push it with someone that we think, oh, well, they're connected or they know somebody who knows somebody or whatever. You know, you can see it all the time that people who find each other, um, it's like that those puzzle pieces fitting together. That's when the magic happens. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. So I'd say the same is true. So I, I'm sure that's something that I've said to younger students was, you know, when they're super eager, like I want to get on stage, which is a great idea. Even in level one, get up on stage, go do a jam, go Mm -hmm. feel, go, pardon my French, but go eat shit (laughs) and then go have a beer with your friends and talk about how fun it was to eat shit. And over time, that's how you find those people. And then maybe you guys do a podcast or maybe you guys 
do uh, you host a jam or whatever it is. And that's the key to unlocking doing this forever. Because I'd say what's true of improvisers who do it for a long time and who find some degree of happiness and success doing it is it's the people that they met along the way. You know, it's not a, it's not a um, solo adventure doing improv. So let's go back to an exercise that mm -hmm. we can bring in terms of like, I feel like you've brought so much already, then... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but specific to the character and finding out how students could play more characters or be in a character, what would you say is an exercise to help students with characters? Great. This is something I've been doing recently, and it kind of falls into the same vein as to what we've been talking about. But um, when we say character, I think character is a really loaded term for a lot of people who are pursuing improv or comedy. So character, I think, is as simplistic as point of view or opinion. If you have an opinion, that comes from a place of character, mm. right? So you could take almost any line of dialogue that you're presented with on stage, and if you express an opinion about it, that's one step into a character. And I love this maxim in applying it to improv. If this is true, what else is true? So if someone says to me on stage, I made eggnog, right? I'm looking at your Christmas tree, so <laughs> eggnog, but I made eggnog. You know, your reaction to that doesn't have to be, yes, and I brought a gingerbread house. That's one way of moving the scene forward. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But a way to start to understand who the people are on stage is me having an opinion about eggnog. Mm. I just did this exercise with a group that I'm coaching. Yes or no, in or out. And I'm going to give credit to someone else right now, Bill Arnett, who's a brilliant teacher. It's breaking it down very simplistically. Yes, in eggnog? Yes, how great? Or no, out, no to eggnog. So a way to react to that is if someone says, I made eggnog, oh yeah, I can't wait to get fucked up at this party, <laughs> right? <laughs> I've got to get fucked up, right? I'm, I'm, I still want to party. I know I'm 41, but I've got to party, right? <laughs> it's a way into that. So then I kind of, in some way, understand that character a bit more because I started with, yes, what does this mean? What does this mean? I'm filling that in as, a, as we go. If someone says, I made eggnog, and I say, Oh God, no, I couldn't have them. I, I'm off dairy. I'm off alcohol. I'm drinking water and eating chia seeds because I don't deserve nice things. I don't want to, I don't deserve happiness. You know, that's a very exaggerated way to start that scene, but it's a, you just having an opinion. So those are two opinions that a human being could have. And I, I also say, you don't have to think about it either. Cause I, I guarantee you if we just, if I was just sitting around with friends and I made eggnog, everyone would have an opinion just because of who they are. Mm -hmm. So you can even start with like, I don't, I don't personally like eggnog myself. I would just rather have the alcohol. <laughs> and that's a really honest and true thing about myself. And then I can always say, if this is true, what else is true? Starting from Colleen is, I would just rather have the alcohol. Then as I step into character, all I'm doing is I'm saying, if this is true, what else is true? Do I not, do I like the most distilled part, you know, the most, um, pure part of things do I just not like things to be sullied by adding a lot of frou, frou to it and then I can keep making like adding on to that as the scene goes to understand that character and that's just starting from me I, I I like that I feel like you walked into a point of view specifically with the eggnog exercise of like yes I can and then you walked into your point of view of like well I can because mm -hmm. or no I can't because and then that really informed your point of view so yeah. like it helped you walk into your point of view even though you started from a very like 
basic plays. And I love the idea that you're keeping it simple. That's the best way to do it because when you teach, you find that simplification of these these things that you're juggling at the same time is how students kind of gobble it in mm-hmm. into their play and stuff like that. Yeah. I love that exercise. Oh, thanks. And 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 just like you said, because, I think of it as um, why is such an important question in improv. Mm. So um, doing this exercise, just FYI, if you say, I made eggnog, and someone says, yes, I love eggnog, full stop, it's not as useful as why, mm. right? Why is character as well. It's a way to think about it. So yeah, I really want eggnog because I'm a, cause I'm a filthy party girl, right? <laughs> now we're off to the races. Um, so yeah, just understanding that and yeah, the simplicity of it too. I think that's an easy way for students to think. I mean, students, but also people, I've, I've coached people who've been doing this for years and it's a reminder of, yeah, I gotta, and that's a really simple and easy way to get into the scene. Yeah, and you also demystified like a, a description of what a character is because people think character, they're like, I gotta have a wacky voice. I gotta have a voice. I, yeah. have, to, I have to imagine I have an eye patch. <laughs> I gotta, you know what I mean? And I love that too. I'm so, I love silly. I love ridiculous. I love those things so much. But as a way of like making improv easier and better and more successful for everybody, it's just as applicable mm-hmm. to say, why you don't want eggnog yeah you know? yeah because eventually you could find out so much more about that character if this is true what else is true yeah like this woman who needs to party all the time right what else is true about her if she's just like yeah i want to get fucked up on eggnog yeah. <laughs> right yeah. and by the end of a show if we start from a, a really understandable human place which is i gotta party i, I want to party all the time you know and if maybe a real thing is like, I just don't want to get old. You know, I'm feeling my mortality. By the end of the show, you can take something that's understandably human and you blow it out. Mm-hmm. You know, improv is going to pull us on a huge left turn. We don't have to start with a huge left turn. It doesn't have to be, I made eggnog. Oh, well, I'm a fucking pirate and I'm going to burn this house down, right? <laughs> like that's someone's character. If you start from a place, of, I love to party because I don't want to be alone. By the end, you can burn anything down you want. That's cool. Oh, Thank you so much for sharing that, Colleen. I think you blew everybody's mind oh, listening. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I've lost my listeners. Oh, oh no. <laughs> um, so where can people find you? This is actually going to come out in the new year. Oh, 2019. 2019. Oh, you guys, resolutions. I hope everyone's still to them because yeah. they're probably really good the ones you made do it but uh, i can be found at the that's my website uh you can contact me there for coaching or teaching my partner and i travel all over doing it and i love to do it and go to new places and you can follow me on twitter at anyang hello a-n-y-a-n-g-h-e-l-l-o did i just say dot com about twitter who knows <laughs> <laughs> It's an arrest development thing. Um, I'll also put the oh, links up on the description so oh, that thanks. people can, just in case you did put .com. <laughs> <laughs> just go to anyanghello.com. I totally understand how Twitter works. I'm a millennial. It's not a big deal. <laughs> well, thank you so much for stopping by the podcast, and I hope you have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That was Colleen Doyle on Notes for My Improv Notebook. I Wow, that's all I have to say. That was such a great podcast. I'm so excited about it. Uh, thank you so much again for listening to Notes for My Improv Notebook. Please rate, share, subscribe to this podcast. Let improvisers like you know that it exists. I appreciate you. 
And next week, we're going to have Brian James O'Connell. Thank you so much and have a wonderful week. All right, that was the Colony Doyle podcast. How... <laughs>